Hi, I'm Amri M. Mathedon, CEO and head Stemet at Stemet. And I'm Lauren Wallin. <laughs> and this is Stemet Say What? A brand new podcast brought to you by Stemet about what it's really like to break into the field of STEM. I do not apply for any job that doesn't showcase the salary because why would you put the effort in to apply for a job that doesn't show you the salary just to turn around and it's 10k less than what you wanted to be on? And this week's guest is Cerise Goodhead and she'll be answering our forwards about the gender pay gap and salary negotiation. And we are going to be discussing money, money, money. But that's what it's about today. You know, we, we don't talk about it often enough. It's super important. It is a big part of what work is about. I think yes. most work you do Mo- for money. On the internet, we are always talking about securing the bag and living the soft life. <laughs> and those two things kind of need this discussion. That's what it's about I feel today. like we should sing the Mamma Mia song. <laughs> is that that's not, is that no. <laughs> Money, money. It's so funny. Mm-mm. In a rich man's world. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us today, Cerise. First big important question, what brought you to working in the space? We're talking to and about young women in STEM. You work in gender pay equality. What brought you to the space? I just, Personally, I want to make emphasis to the money, money, money in a rich man's world. It is specifically in a rich man's world, so linked closely into equality and the Equality Trust. Gosh, I think just being a woman of colour, Um, a black woman and seeing how equality can really shape and change your futures I think it's really important that we're sat here and we're having this conversation about STEM and like advising young women that want to go into STEM about how they can navigate their futures to benefit them and that actually it's not a rich man's world Um, they have the opportunity to succeed as well so Working with the Equality Trust encompasses that and it's all about making sure that everybody has the chance to live their best life and has the resources to live the life that they deserve with equal chances as anybody else, no matter their background or where they've come from. Here, here. And just so that we've got it on record for anyone listening, what's your official role, maybe title? What's your job? Like what, what do you actually do? Like that's the big thing scale if we zoom it down to cerise only what is your what is what is the thing you do how do you introduce yourself at dinner parties oh well <laughs> i'm cerise goodhead i am the uh, senior media and communications officer at the equality trust we're an organization that works to improve the quality of life in the uk by dismantling structural inequalities and i am in charge of all types of comms media work events hosting making sure that the work that the charity does is amplified so that people know how they can get access to whether it's equal pay toolkit or how we can give young people and teachers the resources to educate them on their employment rights implementing the sed and all of the other good stuff that's going on up behind the equality trust i guess my role is to amplify that and showcase that so that people can see what's happening and also raise awareness of what needs to be done and what needs to happen brilliant and we've got four what's but i'm gonna ask a really minus like this is what zero maybe <laughs> one level one what's sed you just said sed just then so it's social economic duty it's a duty that is part of the equality act Sorry, I'm using jargon. That's really bad as a comms person. (laughs) We're learning. Yeah, it's a duty that basically holds council to account and makes sure that when they enact any policy or any development, that they have due diligence for the people that they're working for so that they're not increasing inequality. 
official what one of the four what's. We're here talking about the gender pay gap. We've mentioned it a little bit. It's in the titles, in the intro. What is the gender pay gap? How did the gender pay gap come to be? The gender pay gap is the percentage difference between the hourly earnings for men and women. So in 2021, the gender pay gap in the UK for full and part-time employees was around 15.4%. How it came to be is that like there's so many drivers of the gender pay gap and this includes like the childcare penalty basically being penalized for having children unpaid domestic and care work which is predominantly taken on by women gender segregation at work and in sectors so obviously women are more predominantly likely to do a certain role or work in certain sectors lack of progression to senior roles so obviously this is something that's very common for women of color but also women in general you're unlikely to progress into senior roles and also part-time roles which are predominantly taken up by women who are have childcare responsibilities or some other sort of caring responsibility who look for part-time work senior roles are less likely to have part-time work this that progression there also lack of self-confidence women and I know myself sometimes we feel like we don't have the confidence to go for bigger roles or we feel stuck in a certain role or it's the right thing for right now and then pay discrimination so unequal pay the gender pay gap is one of the significant causes of poverty for women in later life um, it reduces their lifetime earnings and affects their pension so the Equality Trust actually has a lifetime loss calculator, which estimates just how much women working in the UK companies with more than 250 employees could lose over 45 years of working life, which is called your potential lifetime earning loss. And it's significant. Women will work for free for two months of the year what? because of this That's gender pay gap. That's, That's what? So what? <laughs> oh, it's for free. So November and December are just charity. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, essentially you're working for free. Like you're just not making any money off that. So that would be bigger for the ethnicity pay gap and disability pay gap. What? So it sounds like there's a lot of parts, a lot of social parts, a lot of just unnecessary exclusion. How did we get here? What historical structures got us to this point and which industries or regions are doing better and doing worse? There's like a range of historical issues, including austerity measures and changes to the labour market, such as cuts to public sector jobs, pay freezes in the public sector, the increase in use of zero-hour contracts in the private sector. These have all contributed to the widening gender pay gap. Also, direct discrimination. Employers repeatedly undervaluing women's skills. That has stemmed from gender stereotypes. We see like a history of gendered roles has resulted in different types of sectors and jobs, women and men working. So you might see men predominantly in construction and women predominantly in teaching roles. So that's a form of occupational segregation, which ultimately affects the gender pay gaps as women are working in specific sectors where wages are lower because they obviously deem it as lower paid because women predominantly take over those roles those would differ to roles that are dominated by men in terms of salaries also the burden of household labor that predominantly falls to women i've already mentioned this but these include like caring for an elderly or sick person or a child raising children housework and all of this has a negative impact on women's careers we talk about parenting and parenthood and it's definitely been something that's come up a lot during the pandemic is that 
that's not the only caring that people do. Like it's yes. barely for elderly relatives or other people who are sick or all kinds of like other responsibilities that people might have that isn't just about being a parent or even just being a mother that do often, you know, fall on the women in the family to do whether they work or not. But I think the other thing is, yeah, this idea of sectors, you know, we're a STEM podcast talking, like Lauren said, about women in STEM, girls in STEM. And I think it's definitely something I've seen, you know, all the reports about the gender pay gap, you know, it could be closed by such and such year, or it was going to be closed by such and such year if we have progress going the way that it's already been. But one of the ways to skip ahead on that or to go faster is to get more women into STEM, which for us at STEMETS isn't the main reason. I mean, we're not like money, you know, it's, money, money, money. It's a bit the about the money, but yeah, of but, course, you know, other things. But but lots of other things, you know, it's about problem solving. It's about, you know, having purposeful careers and the rest of it. But I think it is an interesting one that we could be like, you know what, actually, let's just talk money and you'd earn more if you come into STEM. But I've had discussions with people over time about how much of that is a thing, you know, like you're talking about gender segregation. And I feel like they've seen it in the medical practice. But the more women that have gone into medicine, the lower down that the salaries have been. Oh, it's, it's desperately disappointing that jobs turn pink and then they just get poorer paid. Mm. Yeah. And also education is one of the sectors with the widest gender pay gap. And you just think, how does that make sense if they are predominantly taken up by women? And it's such a key part of everybody's life. Why would there be a big gender pay gap in, a, in an area that has predominantly women as teachers and the men are the ones getting paid more? It's, it's wild. There was a statement that you made about, obviously, in terms of how many years it would take for us to close the gender pay gap. We've actually, the Equality Trust released a report today where we looked at the um, FTSE 100 about... Today? um, (laughs) (laughs) You've got the first scoop, guys, about... The FTSE 100 progress in closing their gender pay gap. And we stated today that it would take the average FTSE 100 company another 48 years to close their gender pay gap at the rate that they're going. And yeah, that's wild. That's not in my lifetime. That's probably not in your lifetime, girls. It's wild too. I plan on being here. (laughs) Me. I mean, plan on being here. Plan on being here, but you'll probably be retired. You'll probably be retired by that point. So it's not going (laughs) to... It's not going to be, it's not going to affect your pay. Do you know what I mean? Like already women in their mid thirties aren't going to see the gender pay gap closing in their lifetime. I'm only 26, but I'm probably not going to see it close too. The figures are daunting and they're really scary, but there's hope. That's one thing that's key. Like these, this conversation that we're having here, there is hope. There is work that we can do and there is things that we can urge the government and businesses to do as well. So I think you asked what industries and regions are the worst performing. So analysis from Forbes advisor shows that the worst performing regions on gender pay gap reporting using ONS data was London, which was ranked ahead with 20 percent. Um, I believe that. Gender pay gap. Yep, of course, it's London. It makes sense. <laughs> I believe that. Um, it's followed closely by the West Midlands, which has 13.8 percent. So the gap alone between London and the West Midlands like, like and the rest is just it's it's dramatic like for that percentage that's followed by Southeast England with 13.2% and then the East Midlands with 11.4%. So across the UK we're really lacking in closing our gender pay gap. While men are paid more on average than women in a vast majority of sectors with the gender pay gap it has widened in 12 out of 21 sectors. The worst performing industries based on the Chartered Institute of Personal and Development, data are construction, 
Um, this has the largest gap as women earn 23.8% for every pound a man earns. And then it followed by education with 26%. And finally, finance and insurance with 24%. This is data based on 2020 to 2021. So we're talking recent. We're talking this is these gaps aren't getting smaller. They're getting bigger. And it makes you wonder why are they widening? Why when we are facing a cost of inequality of crisis, we're facing rising inflation, people can't heat their homes. Why after 50 years, over 50 years of campaigning, do we still have the issue of a gender pay gap? Why are people still not being paid equally? It's wild to me. Moving on to the second word, as an individual, this is advice for myself, <laughs> what do you do if you think you're being underpaid? So there's so much that you can do if you think you're being underpaid. Firstly, investigate. Like, don't just assume you're being underpaid. Talk to people. And I think there's this massive stigma around people not knowing if they can speak about it. I remember one time in my career, I was working for a law firm and I was speaking to my colleague and she was hesitant to tell me her salary. And I was like, I'll tell you my salary. I don't mind it. I'm fine with it. She realized that she was being paid less than me. Same title, same role. She just was being paid less than me. And I think it had an impact on her educational background, her like where she was born. She wasn't British born. So I think obviously you started to identify that. But Talk to your male colleagues, talk to your other colleagues and see if you're being underpaid. Also, have a look at something I always tell my friends, families and like mentees, people that I mentor. I'm always telling them to perform sector research. Look at what is out there, who the companies are in the same sector as you. What are they paying? You've got Glassdoor, you've got Indeed, you've got so many different tools that can help you to identify the salaries. Even if you just Google average salary for, I don't know, senior medium communications officer or average salary for, a, I don't know, scientist. I don't know the terminology, <laughs> but you, you'll you see it will come up with the average salary. LinkedIn does it as well. How are you performing in comparison to like other people in your sector? Look at those because then you have a solid ground to be like, okay, I know I'm not earning what I'm supposed to be earning in comparison to what other people are paying their employees. But then you have those conversations with people you work with and you're like, right, I now definitely know I'm not being paid enough. And then also looking at like pay and benefits and all of these things, like is a company giving more holidays, is a company giving more benefits in terms of like things that you get to enjoy at work? Look at these things and compare it because these would be reasons why you would change a role. Um, and if you're not getting any of those as well as the salary, you're going to think, well, something's not right here. Some Something's going on that's not that's not okay. So I guess that's how I would start the conversation and navigating around looking at, am I being paid enough? How do I know if I'm being paid enough? And then you go on to what can I do about this? Okay. So if I look around, ask some questions, find out that, oh, I'm being undercompensated and decide they want to leave and go to a different job. Often jobs that advertise don't have the salaries They write attached. competitive. <laughs> and I'm like, competing with who? Like, I'm going to go to the bank and be like, I want a mortgage. <laughs> and they're going to be like, what's your earnings? They're going to be like, I got competitive. <laughs> Times that by four and a half. Yeah, sorry. I just, they don't tell you. Yeah. They, you need yeah, to get, well, you know, all the way to the end of the recruitment process to find this out. So how do I level set? Well, firstly, for me, I don't apply for any jobs that don't have the salary. Major key. Um, yeah. 
I do not apply for any job that doesn't showcase the salary because why would you put the effort in to apply for a job that doesn't show you the salary just to turn around and it's 10k less than what you wanted to be on that's not putting the onerous on the individual it's saying to companies actually people are going to stop applying for your roles if you don't showcase the salary because why should I do a presentation why should I put a cover letter together why should I do a press release why should I do all of these things and you haven't told me the salary indeed did some polling um, which showed that young women from 18 to 25 are less likely to apply for a job with a gender pay gap that same energy needs to be applied to companies that aren't showcasing their salary because why should I apply for you why should I why should I make the effort to apply but then also ask them if you really want to apply for a job and you've seen it it sounds great it everything looks appealing to you all of the benefits everything and all they have on there is competitive salary see if you can find the recruiter see if you can find the hr person who's in charge get their email of hr and send them an email i've seen this job that you've advertised would you be willing to share the salary band with me you don't have to say the exact salary but if they have a salary band that's great it stops you doing all of that work there's so many times where i've applied for a job and it's turned around and it's like oh the salary's only this and i'm like well i'm earning well more than that and i'm not sure i want to decrease i'm at the prime of my career i don't really want to decrease my earnings because I just like the sound of the role and then also if you do get to that stage where you okay you didn't ask for the salary before interviewing go to them and say look you've got all of this research remember you've done all this amazing research on sector analysis who's being paid what you know people who are working I know that this is the salary I should be on and I know this is the salary that you're offering I really want to work for the company is there any way to compromise? Is there any way to get this salary? Would you be willing to negotiate this? Companies who respect and value their employees will negotiate a salary with you because they know that you're worth it. They know they want you. So again, feel free, like have that confidence to ask those questions because you don't ask, you don't get, unfortunately. Like I had a conversation with someone who she saw the role and everything else that was happening externally in her life. She was like, oh, I just accepted it because obviously someone's passed away and I just needed a job. And I just, I knew I was worth more than that salary, but I just accepted it at that time. It felt okay to me. Like I, I needed it. Never be afraid to ask. Like we always feel like we're being a burden or we feel like we're being precious or especially as a black woman, you feel like you're being aggressive or all of these things just by asking um but don't be afraid to ask that question you don't feel like you're going to get that marking over your head that oh i'm going to be this intimidating individual before getting the job because i'm already negotiating my salary and then okay for example if you do get into that role you've already accepted it and you think all right i've started working here i'm three months in the role and responsibilities are a lot more than i thought it was going to be can i in my probation review, can I negotiate this? Yes, you can. You can have that conversation. I've seen that the role's a lot more. Obviously, I know my abilities. Could we have a discussion around salary increases? Also, you can have that at the beginning. Again, like you can say, I know the salary's lower, but once you see my my work and my like the work that I produce, would you be willing to negotiate a salary to see if this could be increased? Really like back yourself, go into it thinking, I, I know I'm good at what I do. And I should be earning more. And again, it comes back to value and respect and employers really like valuing who they have on their team. 
Sorry, so I must say, I love the fact that you're giving like scripts. <laughs> like, go to the meeting, say A, B, C, and D. Basically, negotiate. <laughs> thank you. I need another little script, though. What What is the script for? I've been working. I've been in this job for a year, a year and a half. I think I deserve a raise. So again, you've come. We've imagined you've got all of that research. You've got all of those data. You've spoken to some of your colleagues. You've um, seen the work that you've been doing. You know you're doing a good job. You can pose that question to your employer. So you say to them exactly how you just said it. I've been in this role for two years. This is what I've done. I've obviously shown like shown my skill sets. We've had major wins. We've done amazing things. I've achieved this, this, this. You obviously have your probationary review, which basically gives you like pointers of what you need to achieve each year. Say whether you've hit those points, like whether you've exceeded them and say, can I negotiate a salary band? They might ask you, okay, what are you looking for? Make sure that you're looking in line with inflation. Is your salary still up to what it is in comparison with inflation? If it's not, you have room to negotiate. But again, you have that research, you have that sector research from what you've done and what you see other people are earning and maybe what other colleagues are earning. And you can say, this is what it says I should be earning. This is the average earning. Can we have a discussion of me reaching that? Or can we have a discussion of increasing my salary closer to this band? And seeing what that discussion is and how they respond to that discussion. If you've got all of the evidence and you've got all of the data you will have that confidence and you'll have that room to negotiate. And that's that's how it comes. It's not so much, what do I say? It's more so, do you have all of the things that you need to take to those conversations and to negotiate? And you will if you do all of those research and all of those things. Also knowing like the benefits and the other things. So I know that there's definitely, I mean, we, as the we have lots of different policies around like pension and like time off and all the rest of it. But I think it's also knowing Salary and money is important and you can't take competitive to the bank. <laughs> but what are the other things that you're looking for? If it is like, an, if it does become a no, what are the other things that you can kind of ask for? So I guess the third what is, what do you do if you are turned down for that raise or maybe even for a promotion? You know, if the two of them were, were going to be linked together, what should your next steps be? What are the other things maybe you negotiate on if you are turned down? I know anyone listening to this won't be turned down. <laughs> Obviously. But just for their friends that they're now helping out post being turned down, what's next steps? Firstly, you need to ask why. I would ask why. What's the reasoning? Have they come back saying that there's not enough money? There's not enough funding? The company's not making enough money this year, etc. Like what the reasonings are? Because then you can, it kind of guides your discussion for what's next. And if it's a no and they give a valid point, which is like, oh, we don't think you've like, I don't know, achieved the things that we wanted you to achieve or there's some pushback, you can turn around and be like, okay, well, is there room to negotiate this in six months? Is there room to negotiate this again? So there's room to go down that route. Also, not everybody prioritizes, like you said, more money. Some people prioritize extra time off. Some people have prioritized benefits like maybe a gym membership or I don't know like an employee staff day I don't know like more engaging things like that that really benefits their work life balance that is dependent on each sector and each area so you would have to obviously see what that how that would work in your company because I know some organizations might not have benefits like a gym membership or all of these things really evaluate what you see as 
like a priority. Don't think just because, oh, I've been turned down for this, but maybe I can get some extra holiday when it's not something you want. It's really about the evidence and making sure that you come with any of that stuff. Because once you have that and you can go to them and say, okay, you said no to this pay rise, but this company does this and this company has like benefits for their staff. How can you reflect this in a similar way? A good company, a company that's not afraid to be transparent will be honest with you and like be open to those discussions. I like what you're saying about like, go and find out what are companies doing, show up with receipts like this company does A, B and C. Do promotions always come with raises or maybe should they always come with a raise? This is based on sectors. Like I know some people might go to a job and like they work there for about a year and they they increase their role or their role's more senior and they might not see a pay rise but that company might have bonus structures and like have individual bonuses like within the year so they don't justify the pay rise or they might turn around and be like we can't increase your salary because of xyz i personally as an individual do think if you're taking on more responsibility you should be getting paid more if your roles are increasing, my wage should reflect that and my earnings should reflect that because I'm taking on more responsibility or I'm doing more work or you've got me for more hours in the day. But some in some cases, it, that's not the case. So if you do get the raise, let's go back to, to this domestic listener. Let's, let's uh, stop giving them information for their friends enough for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> when they get the raise, what details, you know, if we've said it's been a really strong negotiation and so it's not just the money, it's all kinds of different things. What type of details, information, like, how do we know it's locked in? What's the receipt really that you, I mean, it's kind of a receipt, but maybe reverse. Spend. New pay slip. Yeah. Like where, where is slip? it just showing up in the pay slip? Like what should you get from your manager or your boss to confirm raise? Everyone should get it in writing. If you've negotiated a new contract or a new salary, it will be in a new contract. So it should be in paper form and you should have a copy of that to show that your salary's increased because if you wanted to go for, a, I don't know, to buy a house or get a mortgage, you need that proof on paper to, I mean, always make sure there's an email trail. I would always email and say, thank you for our discussion and for XYZ and for agreeing with this with me. Like I look forward to seeing a paper copy of my new contract. Professionally, they would put it in writing. Every time you start a new job, you get a new contract. Every time your salary increases or your role increases, your name of your role changes, you should get a copy of this new contract because it's essentially tying you to this company. What number four? Big question. It sounds like the gender pay gap is supported by the lack of transparency. Just nobody knowing who's getting what and what they're worth and what this means and what the sector and all the questions. So my big question is, what are the ways we can talk about salaries more? Just being confident enough to like approach your colleagues and speaking to them about it. Also speaking to employers about it. Speaking to your manager. I had a conversation with one of my close friends and she was saying how she sat down with her manager. She's done all the right things. She was in this role since she finished school. Somebody is now left, so they've given her more responsibility, but they haven't given her a pay rise. She approached her manager with the conversation and her manager turned around and said, well, I haven't had a pay rise for like 10 years. And I'm, and she's like, what do I do? I'm not going to discuss their salaries, but the salaries wasn't great when she was explaining it to me. And well, for the work that she's doing, it's not representative of the industry that she's in. I said to her that like, it's good that you've had this conversation. And like, just because obviously your manager has turned around and said, I'm still earning X amount, doesn't mean you should not negotiate your salary still. And 
for her, she was like, I'll just wait for my bonus and then I'll come back and see what that salary increase is saying. But maybe she'll potentially think about leaving. But having these conversations and I don't know, some workplaces have unions speaking as part of a union can actually help to help you with collective bargaining, which is basically a form of processing where if you identify that more than one person is being underpaid or your salary is not right, it will give you a starting point to actually bargain with your employers as a collective. When we look intersectionally, there is that difference, right, as well. Is there a particular industry actually that you can say is doing something in particular to make sure that women of colour get the same pay and pay rises as white women? Yeah. So I'll like refer back to Fawcett Society. So they're really doing a lot of campaigning around the ethnicity pay gap. And there's also a organization called Ethnicity Pay Campaign. And they're really highlighting this minimal progress around ethnicity pay reporting, which is so detrimental to black, Asian and minoritized groups. Um, so recently the government have decided that they're not going to implement reporting for ethnicity pay gap because they see this as a burden on workplaces so in their 2022 policy paper they're not making it mandatory but organizations like force and ethnicity pay gap campaign are campaigning for regulation around the ethnicity pay reporting which is vital to reducing this inequality and women black women specifically or women of color see a number of issues including microaggression like the double standards and unconscious bias which keep women from being held back for career progression they're repeatedly underrepresented in the workplace and denied the same opportunities as their white counterparts so we really need to see a shift in priorities here like yes we've seen diversity and inclusion becoming like top of the priority checklist and we need to get this done but if companies really want to show true diversity and inclusion they will commit to reporting their ethnicity pay gap because 43% of black employees are impacted by the ethnicity pay gap. That's 43%. That's almost half percent of employees in a company that are impacted by the ethnicity pay gap. We need the reporting to shine a light on this intersectional forces of discrimination, which are impacting women and including women of colour and disabled women voluntarily. And like this transparency of just seeing it is not enough. We need more sufficient work and organizations like Fawcett and Ethnicity Pay Gap are shining a light on that. Yeah, and, and it's definitely that thing of what gets measured gets done. I think the other thing I'll flag, because I've got this, I've got a new book out, <laughs> um, and there's a chapter, there's quite a few chapters on it that I talk about things like this, but also like the future of work and the fact that we've got algorithms now coming in to decide people's pay, decide people's shift. And there's already examples we'd seen. I'm a trustee at the Institute for the Future of Work. And there's already examples we've seen of algorithms that are being used to help decide shifts, pay and promotion. That again, those inequalities are kind of seeping into the way the algorithms are making decisions. And actually, in one workplace, it, it ends up widening the gender gap and the ethnicity pay gap because of the way the algorithm has been optimized to kind of pay people mm-hmm. as little as possible to keep them in roles. So it's definitely something. But Alas, we've run out of time. I know Lauren's like, what? That sounds like a horror movie. Um, So yeah, so that's what we need to be in STEM. We need to be in STEM so we can close this pay gap. We need to be in STEM so we can solve these problems properly and intersectionally and involving lots of different folks. So really, really thank you, Cerise, for coming, brightening us up, lightening our eyes, giving us the script, giving us the keys, giving us all the things that we need to know and that folks should know, really, because, you know, like we said, all of us at some point are working and are earning. Cerise, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. Where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? 
So you can find out more about the Equality Trust on the Equality Trust, www.equalitytrust.org.uk. We also have a new equal pay website launching, which basically gives you the tools to collective bargaining also identifying if there is an equal pay issue in your workplace giving you some advice that i've basically some of the advice that i've discussed with you on here some questionnaires that will be great for anyone who wants to see if actually they have an issue in their workplace and then just helps to tackle this issue of gender pay inequality so yeah that's it that's me that's where you'd find me <laughs> You have been listening to Stemets Say What, a podcast brought to you by the Stemets. To find out more about Stemets, visit stemets.org. That's S-T-E-M-E-T-T-E-S dot org. Or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok and YouTube via the handle Stemets. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you get the latest episode of Stemets Say What in your feed as soon as it's released. While you're there... Leave a review and tell us what you thought. I'm Lauren. And I'm Amory Macedon. Bye for now. This podcast is produced by Unedited.